did you know that cotton is grown in 17 states? The U.S. Cotton Belt reaches from Virginia to California, and Texas typically holds the title for making up nearly 40% of U.S. production. In this episode of Field Link, we're going to become more cotton-wise as we discuss some of the critical nutritional needs for this crop that helps clothe the entire world. Georgia cotton-wise experts Brian Carroll and Garrett Brewer deep dive into the nutritional needs for this unique crop. Plus, Jody Lawrence joins us from Nashville to discuss the current volatility of the commodity markets. While dry weather across the Midwest is certainly catching attention, Interest rates as well as demand is certainly impacting the overall commodity market. Finally, make plans to join us in Memphis, Tennessee on July 18th for the Innovation Expo, hosted by the Helena Products Group. Growers will get an insider preview of the latest in technology and innovation that will help you maximize profits on your farm. We'll feature biologicals, water management tools, seed treatments, herbicide pipelines, fertility solutions, and precision technology from the Agri-Intelligence team. Plus, gain valuable grain marketing insight from Jody Lawrence and check out the latest equipment from Case IH. Contact your Helena representative for your VIP ticket and register to attend this one-day-only event in Memphis at the Agri-Center International. A space is limited for this exclusive event. We hope to see you on July 18th in Memphis. And welcome back to this episode of FieldLink. Today's episode, we're focusing on cotton. Joining us today on this episode is Garrett Brewer. He's a sales representative out of Moultrie, Georgia. And Brian Carroll, a product specialist with the Helena Products Group, also out of Georgia. Guys, welcome to FieldLink. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Garrett, can you just uh, tell us a little bit about you and uh, how did you get started in your career? I started my career with Helena as an agri-intelligence specialist in Enfield, North Carolina. Um, I'm originally from Moultrie, Georgia. I graduated from a small agriculture school called ABAC in Tifton, Georgia. Uh, Helena gave me the opportunity to move to Enfield, North Carolina in January of 2016. So my wife and I moved up there. Um, like I said, started as agri-intelligence specialist, was in that role for a year, transitioned into sales for three years, uh, got the opportunity in 2019 to move to uh, Arlington, Georgia as a branch manager. So I managed that Arlington location and sold for three years there. Um, and then the opportunity came up to move to Moultrie, Georgia as a salesman. So moved from Arlington back to Moultrie, back home, and, and uh, it's kind of kind of went from there. Awesome. Hey, guys, uh, lots of things are happening right now in the southeast U.S. Uh, uh, Garrett, um, you know, you, you're working as a sales representative there in the Moultrie area. Talk to us a little bit about the cotton crop and kind of what's going on right now as it relates to that crop in Georgia. I think our crop is, uh, obviously, the crop in Georgia is a little late. We had some rain events, some cool weather that pushed back that even beginning planting. Um, we usually, we try to start right there. I end of april getting all the bugs worked out and and really hit it full steam ahead the beginning of may but this year that that got pushed back a couple weeks because of cold soil temperatures daytime temperatures nighttime temperatures and and sometimes a lack of moisture and sometimes too much moisture so planting window got drug out got pushed back a little bit and um now we've gotten behind replanting cotton and stuff like that now we've had two weeks of 
uh, wet, dreary weather. Um, so some of the stuff that we had hoped would come along, some of the replanted stuff or maybe the double crop cotton or the later planted cotton um, is even further behind. So we're looking forward to some, some sunshine and some, some hotter weather moving forward to hopefully speed this crop up. Yeah, definitely uh, a little bit later crop than you'd kind of like. Uh, but, you know, what are the acres looking like? Are you seeing acres in your area up this year? Growers looking at different crops or are they staying steady with their cotton crop plan? I think in South Georgia, just because of the infrastructure, we don't have a terrible swing with percentages of our crops. Um, we probably do have a 10 or 15 percent decrease in cotton acres and that was probably made up by some corn and peanuts um but usually because of the infrastructure because of the cotton pickers and the way our guys are rotation um based with the peanut programs we usually don't see a huge swing so that you know at the end of the day i think we're probably down 10 or 15 percent cotton acres um but not a drastic amount i wouldn't say yeah, and, and Garrett, you also talked a little bit about, uh, you know, you had some replant going on. How, how severe was the replant this year for you guys? You know, the replant wasn't bad. Um, what was bad, I would say on a percentage basis, our replant was probably relatively low year over year. The problem that we are facing now is the replanted stuff. You know, when you when you replant, boy, you got to really get a good stand. You got to get some good vigor. You got to get it up out of the ground and growing and because of the weather we've had the past two or three weeks, we, we haven't had that stand establishment or that early season vigor that you would love to see out of a, out of a replanted cotton. So that, that pushed us even further behind, you know. So the replant acres wasn't bad. Replant situations weren't bad. It was just the weather that we got brought after we decided to replant some of that stuff. And right now, you guys have been getting a fair amount of rain, haven't you, down in the southeast part? Yes, yeah, sir. I, I had a customer tell me this morning that we're sitting – we're sitting right at 14 inches the past two weeks, so about an inch a day. Wow. How's that impacting the crop right now based on your observations in the field? Well, it, I was thinking about it earlier, kind of thinking about this call and, and looking to some of the cotton and the situations we're up against. I mean, this, the older plant, the older stuff, the earlier planted stuff is really starting to square right now. We're really starting to set some fruit. Um so what you worry about with any kind of stressful cotton situation is shedding fruit, the lack of fruit retention. You're worried about plant bugs. You're worried about stuff jumping on it and quick kicking those squares. So um, we're utilizing some products now probably a little earlier than we normally would just because of that, the lack of fruit retention, the stress that we've been under the past two weeks with some of this earlier planted cotton. Um, the later planted stuff, you know, it, we're, we're trying to get a herbicide out. We're trying to get a residual out. Um, we're trying to get some nitrogen, some uh, potassium on it through the top dress, and that, that's kind of delayed us. So there again, you're worried, about, you're worried about fruit set. You're worried about fruit retention because you're, you're starting to leach out a lot of your nutrients. Um, you don't have a lot of sunlight. The plant get, can't go through its, you know, its mechanism of, of photosynthesis and stuff like that. So we're really, you know, we're in a stressful environment for every age of cotton. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you, you know, there's there's growers in the Midwest that would love to have a, just a portion of that 14 inches that you just talked about of moisture uh, for sure. Uh, those folks up in Iowa and Michigan and uh, throughout the uh, Central Corn Belt, uh, but it can go the other way too, right? Uh, when you get a little too much, it's like, oh boy, how do we manage through that? And you know, bringing uh, now, I want to introduce uh, Brian Carroll. He's a product specialist uh, for the Helena Products Group. Uh, Brian, welcome to Field Link. 
Thanks for having me, Bill. Well, Brian, when you're sitting here talking to Garrett, you know, sounds like uh, for the most part, the cotton crop looks pretty good in Georgia. And of course, you're also uh, located in Georgia. Tell us a little bit about you, Brian. Well, I've just uh, completed my 34th year with Helena. So uh, right out of college, I've never worked for anybody else. So that tells you uh, the dedication and loyalty I've had to Helena over the years. And uh, working with good people like Garrett and these other sales guys, it's, it's uh, makes it pleasurable. Uh, so I started out as a salesman, so I know the challenges of the guys in the field. And I think that helps me in my role uh, now. And previous to being a product specialist, I was a product manager uh, for this geography and also had Alabama and North Florida. So uh, supporting these sales guys and helping them overcome these challenges and providing solutions to these growers to help them be more profitable and uh, you know, improve their yield and quality of these crops. So my role is just to support these guys and help them with our, our Helena products and getting them positioned correctly and at the right timing is, uh, is critical as well. And so that's, that's my role and a little bit about me. Well, certainly after 34 years of experience in that geography, uh, you know a thing or two about cotton, and I know that you have the ability to help out Garrett. And based on what Garrett shared with us around the cotton crop currently, and I know you're a native of Georgia and you're there, located there as well, what's some of the advice that you're giving growers and, and as well as uh, our, our Helena representatives at this time? Well, Garrett mentioned the plant being under stress and the concern of cotton dropping its fruit. And one of the products that we're promoting right now is Utilize. And uh, one of the benefits is actually, you know, helping to improve reproduction, getting better uh, pollination, stronger fruit set, bowl retention. One of the things we've seen with that product and then also helping to uh, increase chlorophyll content to improve photosynthesis. But we still need that sunlight and those heat units to make that crop. But that utilized can, uh, if it's timed right now at this early squaring phase, and then we're doing two applications now, uh, both eight ounces at this early squaring phase and then at first bloom. And it's really helping to set that fruit as that plant goes into that peak demand period for blooming and drawing up nutrients to help make that crop. Yeah. Uh, Utilize certainly a great product there. And, and it's 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 fairly unique product in its classification. How is Utilize different, Brian, than eh, some, some other products that might be imitators out there? Well, with Utilize, um, we've got some pretty solid science uh, backing up what it's actually doing in the plant. And it's a specific compound, um, not to be too technical, but it's a... Uh, oligosaccharide, which is just one of the complex carbohydrates that plants produce, but what it's doing is helping improve reproduction. So the function in the plant when you apply it to foliage is helping to strengthen that fruit set, strengthen that pollen, and, and you know, cotton is uh, has a tendency for dropping their fruit, fruit, and one of the things we've noticed with Utilize is helping to retain that fruit and uh, improving maturity and just increasing yield and quality. So it's just been a, uh, a good fit. But our competitors, uh, we see a lot of plant hormones that are being promoted out there. And the issue with some of these synthetic plant hormones like uh, cytokinins and IBAs and gibberellins, it's a balancing act. So 
you, you get too much, you can get excess vegetative growth. And with cotton, that's not a good thing, especially when we're putting these plant growth regulators out there like our mepicot chloride to try to slow that growth down and get that plant to go more reproductive. And so um, with these plant hormone type products, you could, you know, prevent that reproduction from occurring you know, naturally and throwing that plant out of balance. So that's just a caution that growers need to be aware of when, when looking at those type products as opposed to with Utilize where, you know, we put out plots with third-party independent researchers and generate data showing where we're actually improving yield at a level that's, uh, you know, statistically significantly different than um, some of our competitors and, you know, a grower standard of just the plant growth regulator by itself. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think that's a key point, you know, for, for those of us that are not completely familiar with cotton, uh, the goal here is to raise cotton, not necessarily the vegetative side of things, uh, mm-hmm. the plant. And it's important to have a, a solid plant, of course, but we're here to raise lint and and, and, and increase yield from that perspective and utilize, uh, it sounds like a pretty good product to help increase that yield based on some of the third party uh, data that you referenced, as well as, you know, a lot of history here, too. That's right. Uh, Brian, what are some of those yield differences that you've seen out there across yeah, the third-party research? Well, we've been um, looking at Utilize on, on cotton for several years, but actually, uh, when we first started um, using it on cotton, we were, we were only putting out one application. And about six years ago, um, we had our uh, tech service manager put out a, a plot with an independent researcher looking at two applications because we've been successful in peanuts are uh, getting some really tremendous yield uh, increases on peanuts and so with two applications of utilized so the result of those first uh, year trials looking at two applications of utilized on cotton and then over the past six years we have an average of uh, 155 pounds of yield advantage over uh, you know a grower standard uh, eight different locations over the, that time period so wow. you've got a lot of variability in a lot of different cotton growing areas where we've looked at that and um, been a pretty consistent performer for us at those timings at, at you know squaring and then first bloom again to help set that fruit. I think that's a good point. There's a lot of comfort in knowing that you've got a proven product that's worked well uh, in your market, as well as really across the whole U.S. uh, for for not just cotton, but other products, but really certainly does shine in cotton, especially in the Southeast U.S. Garrett, um, boy, there's a lot of confusion for growers out there. Lots of different hormones going on, products that are out there. Utilize is very specific. Can you speak to us how you talk to growers about Utilize and how it's different and how important timing is with that particular product? Yes, sir. I, I agree. I mean, there's there's tons of different products for these for, for growers to use. And, and, you know, a lot of them may be good products. A lot of them are good products. Um, but I think the timing of it, the application of it, is is very important on which plant growth regulator or which hormone that you want to use. Uh, utilizes the timing and the application of it is very specific. Um, what we're trying to do with utilize is is hit it in the application window right there 
where the plant's starting to flower, where the plant's starting to fruit, so we can retain as many as many squares as we can, and we can increase bowl set and increase flower set. So we try to pair that with a mepiquat application. Uh, what mepiquat does in a cotton plant is shorten basically cell division. It stops cell to cell division, so the plant will, will virtually stop growing vegetatively for a short period of time and focus its energy and its nutrients on growing reproductively. So I think in that in that application, because we're trying to do that, we don't need to add a plant growth regulator or a plant or a hormone that's gonna increase plant growth vegetatively. They would kind of counteract each other. So what mm-hmm. utilize does is is while the mepiquat is is slowing the vegetative growth of the cotton plant and increasing the reproductive growth of the cotton plant, utilize is increasing the polyamine production in that cotton plant, which will allow it to focus its energy on flowering and reproduction and retention of squares. So I think, like I said, there's a lot of these products, and and a lot of them are good products, and a lot of them are misused. I think we need to be more specific on it and what we're actually trying to do. We're not trying to grow the plant vegetatively. We're trying to grow it reproductively. So we've got to we've got to focus in on that with the hormones that we're using. And I think utilize is a perfect fit for that. Yeah, I think that's a great explanation, uh, Garrett, on how utilize can impact our growers' overall yield and understanding how how those hormones work and and, and when they work. Uh, really important for raising that cotton crop. One comment I'd like to make on on top of that with increasing that fruit set and having that bowl load on there. Um, one thing we've noticed is uh, earlier maturity, which is a benefit when you know you're trying to farm multiple acres and get that crop harvested as early as possible, and hopefully get it out before any fall tropical disturbances start brewing up and coming into this area. So that earliness is another benefit that we see. You know, anywhere from seven to ten days where we're using utilize. So that, that's another benefit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, uh a piece that can often over get looked, uh, especially if in, in, in the southeast where you do tend to get some of those tropical storms uh, around harvest time. Uh, seven days can mean an awful lot to a grower. Garrett, uh, tell us, uh, you know, in your typical program in your market, when do you typically apply your core on 10010? We're usually, we're, we're looking at that first, that first week of bloom and then again, maybe the second week of bloom. It depends on depends on what we're looking at and what we're seeing in the tissue sample. Sometimes we can slide those applications to, you know, the second and the third week of bloom. Um, what we're trying to do with it is, is not, we're not trying to take away from our, from our potash application or anything in our top dress. We're trying to supplement it. We're trying to add to it. We're trying to, you know, if a cotton plant goes through extreme potash deficiencies when it's trying to flower, it brings on a disease called stemphilium. And we get that a lot in South Georgia. So we're trying to stay ahead of that. We're not trying to replace anything that we're doing in the top dress with our dryer applications or anything like that. But we're just trying to supplement it. We're trying to add to it. We're trying to make sure that if we get a lot of rain like we have and we get a lot of leaching of nutrients through that soil profile, that we don't we don't completely run out. You know, Brian mentioned earlier that we really start to peak in that potash uptake about that third week of bloom. Well, about that third or fourth week of bloom, our roots are starting to decline. So we're not, our roots aren't able to take up enough potash to supply the plant, to supply the bowl load. So there again, we're supplementing it. We're giving it a little more 
you know, we're giving a little more potash to the leaf tissue so it can it can have enough required to keep the bowls, to fill the bowls out, to have good quality. So, like I said, I think it's important to know that we're not trying to take anything away. Um, we're just trying to supplement what we could have lost through the rain events or, or irrigation or, you know, we can't control Mother Nature, so... No, especially right now, sounding like you had 14 inches here in the last few weeks. Garrett, um, we, we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, the current crop here, but as you're kind of looking at things, you've got a lot of moisture out there. It's always hard to see what's really going on in that plant unless you utilize some different technology. And at Helena, we have the extractor program. Are, how often are you utilizing extractor to really, I guess, tell the story of what's really going on inside of that plant? Yeah, that's definitely one of the tools we try to utilize the most. Um, it, you know, I like to tell my customers that you may think you know what's going on in a cotton plant like you just mentioned, or you may think that that um, you're putting the right things out. You know, we're kind of taking it, without pulling a tissue sample, you're kind of taking it as a shotgun approach. You know, you, you're, you're guessing or you're, you may be putting something out there you don't need or you may not be putting something that you need. So... I think a, a tissue sample with this extractor report is really telling us, I mean, it's a, it's a snapshot of time. It's a snapshot of that plant and what's going on inside before we can see deficiencies or, or stuff like that um, in the field. So it's giving us a little bit of head start. It's, it's letting us adapt and change our, our fertility program overall over time. I mean, what they're doing what our agri-intelligence specialists are doing with these tissue samples basically is, is building a database across the southeast to give our growers and, and our salesmen in the field kind of a roadmap of what's going on to, to pull these tissue samples at, at, at very you know, precise timings in a cotton plant to tell us, you know, at, at Pinhead Square, 67% of, of all cotton fields in southeast Georgia is deficient in potash. You know that that those wow. those little bits of of uh, data were created by pulling tissue samples over five ten year period in this area, so we can better you know we know what's coming up, we know what to look for, we can adjust our fertility program based off of that data, and we can continue to add to it. You know, not every year is different. We pull the tissue sample at Pinhead Square this year, we may be low in calcium. Pull pull one again next year, we may not be low in calcium, but Having that database, having something you can refer back to that takes an average over, you know, a five or a ten year period at a certain growing point in in our cotton, I mean, I, I think that's huge for us. So yeah, we try to, I mean, we utilize it every day. We put people on tissue sample programs. We do it bi-weekly or weekly, or you know, a lot of people just like to do it a week before they make a trip in the field. You know, so if we know we got a a possible sting bug application next week or we know we got a possible PICS application next week. We're going to pull a tissue sample this week, get the tissue sample results back, and if we need to add something in that tank, it's a it's a good ride, and we don't have to make a special trip across the field. So we try to we try to use it, you know, daily for sure in our in our programs. Yeah, I think that's a really great example of how you're utilizing that data to kind of foresee what might be the case, but. Also using the current data to say, what does that plant need right now? And, and it can really be a nice benchmarking tool from a, I, I guess, a annual basis. But boy, game day, we, we know what's going on in that field right now at that for that particular plant. Yes, sir. 
Uh, Brian, how are you utilizing some of this information to to help uh, salesmen and and, and growers uh, like like Garrett uh, better position products for cotton growers in in the southeast? Well, as Garrett mentioned, you know, that extractor is pretty essential to us, you know, to determine different trends that we see with different nutrients on different crops. And with cotton, potassium's a big one. That one shows up every year. Um, he mentioned that that's 67% below sufficient um, at Pinhead Square, but we're seeing those levels being low all the way through mid-bloom and uh, those other growth stages where that peak demand is super critical. And, uh, you know, we've we've got Coron. Coron is our control-release nitrogen product. Uh, the formulation we like to use uh, at those early fruiting uh, applications is a Metro 10. It's a 10010 formulation. And the, the control-release nitrogen portion of our Coron is a really good carrier for the insecticides or any of the uh, Mepiquot PGR uh, tank mix partners you got in there and helping to provide that potassium at those timings and that peak demand period to help supplement that need, you know, from that plant trying to pull everything from the soil and just not the most efficient way of trying to get nutrients in the plant. Um, we've got to have that soil fertility, but supplementing with these foliar applications is uh, really helping maximize our yield potential and, um, you know, getting that cotton plant to produce um, to its full genetic potential or closer to that full genetic potential, yield potential. Yeah, and, so, and I uh, think what's really neat about uh, the extractor uh, report is it, it comes back, and, and Garrett, maybe you can allude to this, it comes back with really a report card and as well as a recommendation based on the right product, based on that crop's needs right now, and based on the products that are actually proven and work in your market. That's right. I mean, it, it, it's going to give you a, an explanation at just particular potash. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to give you a an explanation of what potash does in the plant it's going to give you an explanation of what every everything do everything does in that plant and it's going to explain why we need it it's going to explain the critical timings of it and and how we can apply it and then it's going to give you a it's going to give you a product that would best fit that timing of the application or um or you know your area so like brian said we use coron metro 10010 as our foliar potash product if we're if a if an extractor report reads low in potash, it's going to have that product listed as an option for us to use, and it's going to tell us what that product's going to do for us. Guys, I want to thank uh, both of you for joining us here today on FieldLink. Garrett uh, Brewer, sales representative of Maltree, Georgia, and Brian Carroll, who is the product specialist for the Helena Products Group in the eastern half of the United States, uh, based in uh, Georgia today. Guys, thanks for joining us on FieldLink and help us better understand how to raise uh, a cotton crop and become more cotton-wise. Thank you, Bill. Yes, sir. Thank you. Enjoyed it. And now we travel to Nashville, Tennessee, as we catch up with Jody Lawrence for a commodity update. Jody, lots happening around the globe. Certainly, the quarterly market uh, report came out last Friday. We've got lots of activity across uh, Europe with uh, lots of things happening in Russia, certainly impacting the markets today. Jody, welcome to FieldLink. 
Thank you, Bill. This is a little different. We're getting to doing it on a, a early on a Monday and in the middle of the chaos. The markets are just opening, a lot of volatility and craziness. So it's a different time of day to be recording it. But we certainly have some action in everything that you just mentioned. You bet. Uh, coming up here next week is the quarterly stocks and acreage report. That's a pretty big report that a lot of traders are waiting on. Yeah, this is one of the three big ones of the year. It really comes down to the final report that we get in January that details what the USDA found on the previous year's crop. And then this June stocks report updates just about every column that they have. It'll, it'll address supply, uh, demand, and it will also update acreage and uh, maybe tweak potential yield for the weather and planting, uh, you know, kind of planting outlook or what they've seen through planting so far. So Friday is a big, big one, and they always do it uh, on June 30th. And this year, it just so happens to fall on a Friday. So not only do are we in the middle of a weather market, but we've got the 30th report to react to and then position for another, you know, potential uh, forecast and outlook change as we head into July. And then next Tuesday, we've got the 4th of July holiday. So you, we have an awful lot of moving parts right now. And the big estimates for Friday's report are that uh, the, it, the quarterly ending stocks that they took and finished up on June 1st, that we're going to have a minimal change of about 610 million bushels of wheat, uh, 4.25 billion bushels of corn. And that number is a little misleading because what everybody hears when we talk about ending stocks of corn is the final yearly number. This is the number as bushels are sold through the quarters that get you down to that year-end number. So we will see if the USDA addresses that. We believe that they'll cut demand and subsequently uh, probably add you know, somewhere between 60 and 100 million bushels to final ending stocks. And then with uh, 812 million bushels of beans in the quarterly, it's not it's not quite as ample as everybody thought we would be sitting because we've had, uh, oddly, both domestically and internationally, despite Brazil's huge crop, a little bit better bean demand than we would have thought uh, in the first two months of the year. So as we move along into Friday's report, the bigger thing is what are they going to tell us on acreage because planting went so well and so quickly is there going to be an extra 500 750,000 or a million like we've seen some years where we have fast planting pace acres of corn trade has kind of settled in on a number just below 92 million acres of corn at 91.8 with 87.7 million acres of beans uh 10 and a half million acres of spring wheat with all wheat uh, up a little bit this year because of uh, the follow through from the high prices in Ukraine, uh, almost to 50 million. And when you combine all of these, each one of these columns could be a major market mover. And when the volatility hits because the algorithmic traders, they'll have one algo that trades corn buying it or selling it simply on the acreage number and then one on the yield number so you could have two completely conflicting numbers 
that offset each other, whether it's ending stocks or quarterly stocks, uh, and it's acreage or yield to you know to really uh, muddy the market, really muddy the waters in that first you know five ten minutes of trade on Friday. So it's a big one. Uh, it's like I said, it's one of the three biggest of the years. The third one will be the August report where the USDA really tightens down on expected U.S. yield from what they're seeing in their test plots. But it, but on Friday, it will be released at 11 Central Time, 11 Chicago Time, which everybody needs to be paying attention to simply because if we get uh, a dry weather forecast and then a surprise in this report and we get some more rallies for those, uh, you know, for everybody sitting on a crop where they you know are comfortable to sell a few more bushels uh, december corn has already made uh, a new hide it, uh, last week it took out six, six took out 625 and almost got to 630 remember that the insurance price in february was 591 and a quarter and the record is still intact that every year that the uh, fall, or excuse me, the February price was set sometime during the growing season. December corn advanced past that price, so that that's one of the greatest trends in in sports. If you took that to Vegas, you could probably right. make some money, especially when corn, when December corn was trading at four eighty five. Uh, but it's uh, it's so much going on just around this report, and then you throw in the fact that here we sit. In a weather market, the weekend rains were stabilizing for everybody north of I-80. And for those of us that are geographically challenged and had to look at the extent of I-80, it basically runs east to west from Lincoln uh, through Omaha, through Des Moines, through the central eastern Iowa, through central Illinois, all the way over Indianapolis and into central Ohio. And everybody north got just enough rain to buy a little more uh, time heading into pollination. But everybody south that I spoke with yesterday, yesterday's a busy day on the phone. Hate to bother people on Sunday, but everybody understands that's the nature of a weather market that uh, they have some concern. And you've got major areas of eastern Iowa and central and southern Illinois, where the real focus of this drought market is. Illinois is had the driest May and June on record, or at least it's on pace to by the time we get to the end of this week, even drier than 2012. And when you take out, when you put stress on what amounts to almost 28% of the corn crop, it's inevitable that you're going to see a rally. So right now we do not have a pattern change. Uh, for corn, uh, as far as the weather is concerned, to move it where it needs to go, uh, to you know get those yields back up and to take some of the stress off the crop. So yeah. we're in a weather market with a major report and uh, one of uh, one of Russia's uh, private war guys is trying to uh, set up a coup against Putin. So uh, we've got about every ball in the air that I think we've had. Uh, gosh, probably since. Uh, you know, trying to figure out things back from the uh, Trump's trade embargo against China, and then you move into COVID. It's just, uh, I guess, the old proverb: "It's may we live in interesting times, and brother, if we got them." 
Yeah, we definitely do. And uh, to your point, you know, back on the weather, uh, certainly uh, those growers throughout the uh, upper Midwest certainly need some rain. And they got a little bit uh, in some spots throughout that very effective area that you talked about. And, and you're spot on. That's going to buy them another week or two. Uh, uh, we we certainly need another good uh, soaker cone across that area to, you know, shift this uh, market. But it's one of those deals, right, Jody? You know, uh, we're seeing the corn prices go up, but yet you know, it's certainly going to impact the growers in, in that particular market. So uh, stay tuned in a lot of cases here as it relates to this grain market for sure. Uh, Jody, you know, a couple other factors too, you touched on it as well. Demand um, and, and and supply, certainly a critical piece here. Are, are we seeing the demand for some of, for some of the domestic crops, uh, uh, corn, soybeans, wheat? Uh, what What's that looking like from a global perspective right now? The global perspective really is that the U.S. is still not nearly as competitive as we need to be against the world market. Brazil still has plenty of beans and corn to move into the market, and the world is trading it like they more than offset Argentina's losses. And that brings up another point about Friday's report. We'll also get updates on Argentina and Brazil's crop to throw into the mix. Mm. But uh, we're just simply uh, high enough price that we are not uh, competitive in the world on our wheat. Russia still has a huge part of their record crop from last spring and this winter that's heading into the market. Uh, Ukraine continues to export. And they're... Uh, understandably undercutting everybody else in the world because they have the supply right now and they have the motivation. So we're, we're just in a position where simply because of Brazil's record corn and bean crop and Russia's record wheat crop, the U.S. is not competitive. But domestically, the internal market for ethanol, biodiesel, even though the Biden administration threw everybody another curveball on the renewable fuels last week with the EPA and RIV and REN mandates that they were putting out. The market, especially in soil, has bounced back strongly. You look at what basis is doing, and domestically, you still have uh, a lot of the feeders who are looking for corn and need uh, them to and, and need to move it from someplace where there's a little surplus uh, out to all the feedlots, Kansas, Nebraska, and so forth. So it's not nearly as dire domestically, but internationally, we, we're still behind it a little bit. But, you know, if we trim five bushels an acre off corn yield and two bushels an acre off bean yield, we won't have any extra to sell anyway. So uh, very, you know, Northern Hemisphere weather market. This is this is what we get. Demand simply because the weather market has been pushed to the back burner a little bit. Because when you look around the Northern Hemisphere, what's growing right now, China has about oh, fifteen to twenty percent of their major productive Northern Plains area under the worst drought they've ever seen, with the highest temperature ever recorded in Beijing just last week. I think it was one hundred and eight. And uh, the Black Sea area has, and Eastern Europe got some welcome rains Friday and Saturday, but they're still a little bit like the U.S. that they're dry enough that if they miss those 
half three quarter inch rains all of a sudden it goes back to a heavily stressed crop so a lot going on just on the production side when we move into the late june early july standpoint jody how are the interest rates around the world starting to impact some of this demand as well well interest rates certainly the, i saw that the bank of uh london uh, or bank of england excuse me uh did a surprise half point rate increase which will kind of ripple its way through uh everybody in europe as the eu probably follows suit on that uh the federal the u.s federal reserve pausing rates has been welcome in their uh june meeting uh, uh two weeks ago but where rates where they are what the the better part of the outlook really is that you've got the U.S. dollar kind of consolidating at uh, a better uh, rate of exchange for world importers to buy U.S. goods and the interest rates, as far as the demand side we talked about earlier, is a direct refle- or is directly reflected in the U.S. dollar. So uh, I'm interested to see if that continues to fall. But as interest rates rise, the poor and countries, which unfortunately are the food deficit countries, they have trouble uh, getting loans and lines of credit to be able to buy. So it's, uh, gosh, it's it's kind of a, a vicious cycle that we're in right now that you've got, uh, you know, a northern hemisphere weather market, you have high interest rates and, and you have people who are struggling to be able to afford food, who are normally very large importers that uh, eat through some of the the extra demand. Well, a lot happening around, uh, not just domestically, but certainly around the world right now, Jody. And uh, we look forward to hearing uh, the the quarterly report and getting your update on our next podcast episode. Uh, Jody, uh, have a great 4th of July, and uh, we sure appreciate you joining us here on FieldLink. Thank you, Bill. Everybody have a great holiday. And one thing I'd like to offer everybody that's listening to the podcast that uh, is on the newsletter or wants to get on the newsletter, get in touch with your Helena representative. And if you're on the newsletter, feel free to shoot me an email or send me a text and kind of tell and tell me where you are, how your crop is looking and how your weather's been, because this is critical information that I get from all across the Corn Belt that is extremely valuable to my research, and I appreciate everyone that helps me. Thanks for joining us here on FieldLink, Jody. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for joining us on FieldLink. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on social media.